When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All right. Welcome back to another episode of Friends from Work, a podcast. Gee, this is how long it's been since I've done this intro, Kyle. Oh, it's been too long. <laughs> this is like um, I kind of want to leave. This it, is by like the way. that thing where <laughs> whenever, whenever I would be playing a song on stage that I played a thousand times, if I thought about it, I would suddenly not remember how to play it. it like I had to rely on muscle memory, and I'm realizing now that that's what happens whenever I, th- I I think about it too much. Okay. A podcast about all things. <laughs> Welcome to Friends from Work. Yes. A podcast about all things in the Marvel Cinematic Universe hosted by me, Robbie Earl, and by my longtime friend from work, Kyle Sconewell. And today we are going to be kicking off the next leg of our Phase 4 rewatch with a discussion of The Eternals, which will be followed by three more Phase 4 projects leading into the premiere of Loki Season 2. So that's what we're talking about today. I'm really excited to talk about that because last night we had a big group watch Mm -hmm. where folks and the Friends from Work camp gathered and watched together and talked about it on discord and that was fun but there was something else i wanted to talk to you about first kyle that we haven't gotten to talk about okay so this is not i i should i should preface this uh because i do like talking about these things sometimes but we have always tried to draw a line between uh rumors and legitimate news you know, especially before we kind of go down a, a rabbit hole. Oh. This is a rumor. What we're going to be talking about is a rumor, but it's one that I just keep thinking about, and I I keep wanting to talk to you about. Cue Kevin So I'm going to do it here. Warning. 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 <laughs> Warning. So apparently uh, some sources who, I don't know, it could just be like a guy, but some sources have confirmed uh, that the director for Secret Wars, which we we have never had announced yet, is going to be none other than Sam Raimi, the director of the critically acclaimed Spider-Man 3 film. All right. Hold, hold on for a second. First of all, I only read 
that he was the leading candidate, that he's Marvel's top choice, I've not read that they made any decision. Okay, listen, again, what I've read is strictly in the rumor world, so I don't even know that it matters, the the actual verbiage there. Because, yeah, I haven't read anything that makes me think Marvel has put forth any kind of official anything. But you could be right. I have just, what I saw was that Raimi was the guy, but that maybe pen had not been put to paper yet or something. Okay, I have no idea your feelings on this, and I want to give two disclaimers about this episode right at the top. Yeah. One, you know I love being the positive guy. My entire mission on this podcast is to bring joy. <laughs> so if I say something, like to Connor right now listening, if I say something critical about Eternals, I do not want that to take away from your joy at all. I'm not trying to suck the life out of the movie for you. I'm just going to share how I honestly feel about things. And that's my second thing. It's like, this feels like the wrong decision, right? The more I've sat with, <laughs> the more I've sat with the Sam Raimi stuff, I actually got a chance to rewatch Spider-Man 2 randomly on television the other day. Uh, oh, wow. It is such a good movie. Those things that we talk about that Sam leans into, I just don't think I like. And I don't right, think right. it's a good fit for a movie of that level of cast. Like yeah. his his whole thing, I feel like, is he does a really good job of making it pretty personal for Toby Maguire and his crew, yeah. which is his yeah. strength. I don't know that we've ever seen, uh, I, you know, that could be blasphemy, him be able to take 30 different, Avengers from different multiverses and somehow make it fit seamlessly. That's my biggest fear. I know we're going to yeah. get a lot of zoom in on eyes. That's what we get. You know, we get a lot of <laughs> eye zooms and we get a lot of like, you know, cameras in the, in the middle of like a bathroom mirror from a, from a side angle zoomed in, you know, that's what we get. But would we actually get the balance of all the characters? I don't know. No, I, I think I feel the same way. Uh, this is coming from someone who I, I think is probably higher on Sam Raimi in general than you are. And Spider-Man stuff aside, you know, I think I enjoyed Multiverse of Madness more than the average person. Mm -hmm. The first thing I thought whenever I saw that rumor, uh, which was sent to me by uh, friends from work news correspondent Greg Arnold. I, it feels. I need like a sound wrong... effect for that. By the way, at this point, I know, you true. know, like Greg Arnold, Greg Arnold, Greg Arnold, water cooler, you know, something like that. Yeah, like I want to lean into the uh, the shock jock of it all. Water I, cooler with Greg. I think I would like to see Sam Raimi return to the MCU, I, in part because, and, and this will wind up being kind of a perfect segue here in a second to Eternals. I think one of the things that I do really appreciate that we've talked about a lot, but every time I go back and watch these movies, it's made more apparent to me. Phase four is filled with so many kind of definitive, unique takes. Like it, right. it's, it's such a, every project for the most part really feels like a particular creative vision. And, you know, then I think it becomes, do you like that vision? Do you think it was executed well? But it certainly feels like 
when we start talking about Eternals in a second, that was the movie that Chloe Zhao wanted to make. Certainly feels to me like Multiverse of Madness was exactly the kind of Doctor Strange movie that Sam Raimi wanted to make, such that it really feels like it has a stamp on it. And I like that, and I would like to see Raimi do more of that because I just think he has a certain understanding of the comic book aesthetic that I think, you know, there have been times where people thought the MCU was was almost drab in how kind of grounded and realistic it was trying to be. I don't think anybody's saying that anymore after phase four. Yeah. <laughs> but they, they certainly aren't saying that about Multiverse of Madness. So all that to say, I would like to see him brought back and on a project that I think he would be suited for. But the reason I like make the Spider-Man three joke up top is I think that historically Raimi is at his weakest when he's having to juggle a lot of moving parts. Like, I think Multiverse of Madness even showed you that a bit. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think that that movie's at its best when it's focused on Strange or Wanda and, like, to your point, the kind of personal capacity. I think the movie is really weakest with the Illuminati stuff and when it kind of starts to like, like I like those moments and I like like the showdown with Wanda and the Illuminati, but I don't think Raimi is like a world builder right. per se. Right. And again, he, you know, we're not talking about writing here, so I, right. I should be fair because he wrote Spider-Man three and I don't think anybody's saying that he would be writing secret wars. There's gotta what? be some isolated film that he could do. And I'm with you. I think bringing him back would be fun. But there's got to be some. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of a movie that would be kind of standalone, pretty quirky, that he would do a great job with. This is not it, right? But something like if he did a standalone Venom film. Like if they brought Venom mm-hmm. in, he could do something like that, I feel like, really well. Or yeah, the whole time you were talking, I was trying to think of upcoming films that could be somewhat removed, somewhat quirky, almost Disney Plus show-esque that he could then kill. But I don't yeah. know what that is right now. I'm with you. I think he should come back. I just don't think it should be for Secret Wars. I I just don't think I have seen anyone yet uh, yes. on, on the director's side that has been able to handle that kind of project as well as the Russo brothers did. No, and there's nobody left currently. I almost wonder if it needs to be somebody new. Yeah, but then that's also such a risk, you know. Like, I know. I, I feel like that's having one thing, Sam Raimi you know, do it's a risk. Wh- oh, who, for sure, for who sure. Who in the Marvel Studios um, headquarters do you think? Serious question: Do you think watched Multiverse of Madness and the response to that, and then decided, you know what, we need to double down on this? He needs to do Secret Wars. Like, if this rumor is true, and if he is their leading candidate, why do you think? And I'm not trying to be funny. Yeah, yeah. No, I've thought about this. And I, I really feel like I, the reason I don't put a lot of faith in this rumor is because I just I don't really see someone looking at the response to phase four in general and reaching that conclusion. But if they did, I think that it would be more tied to just the level of interest and buzz and 
commercial success that that movie Fair had. point. Like, I think afterwards, you know, we talked about fan reactions and, and it was very divisive. But, I mean, even our podcast, we got, Correct. like, kind of record numbers of, of engagement around Multiverse of Madness. Our that most was like on- listened to episode ever and not even really close. Beating Spider-Man by thousands of listens. <laughs> crazy. Which is crazy. Yep. So, I, I think, you know, and I, I do, th- like, I will say people that are not... I don't think the average moviegoer that is not like a superhero fan is all that familiar with the various directors. Right. But I do think that like there's a there's a gray area of people that maybe just grew up on the Spider-Man films that like I remember people talking about, oh, Sam Raimi, he's directing a Marvel film. Like there is some kind of recognition from folks outside the MCU camp. Now, I don't know if that would carry forward now that he's kind of had his shot. But even the, you know, even the reviews, I remember specifically calling out uh, Waldron's script as weak, but Raimi's direction as, like, if, if not, like, flawless, like, interesting and kind of sure-footed. See, so it's I, interesting because I personally would not be the exact inverse of that, but somewhat close. I actually prefer yeah. a lot of the dialogue, and I think the overarching plot works pretty well with a few tweaks mm-hmm. I would have made. But I think that there's some of the quirks and some of the visuals that I think are a little bit funny, a little bit goofy. Yeah, no, which I can totally see. But I, I do remember thinking, because I remember having the same reaction where I would have thought, it would be Raimi's direction that was driving the the division there, more so than the script or the story. But I think that for whatever reason, like I, I remember almost uniformly seeing it be a, a kind of, you know, the script is weak, but Raimi does really interesting things with it. So maybe from Marvel's perspective. And I will say, this is maybe the thing that makes the most sense or not, I guess, depending on how you look at it. But Waldron, I think, is still set to write Secret Wars. I know there have been I got rumors texted, about... I got texted a rumor that he's off it. Literally yeah, I, like I, last I, week. I've seen that, and I've seen that he and Loveness are, are... We talked about that, are both off. But I don't think... I mean, neither of those reports have been confirmed as far as no, I know. No, and who's even making these decisions right now? They're not talking to each other, right, during the writer's strike? Right. So I don't right. even know that this stuff's even moving. Yeah, I don't oh, think. Oh, by the way, I can't wait until we get to Quantumania. I can't wait. I'm going to come in guns <laughs> blazing so hardcore. We need to get into Eternals. We do. My we do. summary here is I don't think I want Sam Raimi on this particular film. I do think it'd be fun to have him back in an isolated circumstance. And I just don't know that we have a slam dunk pick yet. I've gone through all the names in my head and I don't know that I feel confident about any of them, including a new director, because then you just don't even know, like you said. And my last point is it just really, really, really illuminates how special the Rousseau's were at that moment in that time. Because I think when I had seen like Civil War or Winter Soldier, I right away was like, oh, they can do this. Like they can be the ones to be in charge. And I haven't had that feeling with anyone yet, which is my last 
pitch, by the way, to Friends From Work Plus, because coming up in the next couple of weeks, we have a fun Mount Rushmore of Directors episode that's coming out that's really fun, where we kind of get into yeah. some of this stuff. But again, not to be on a tangent right now, it's like, I think John Watts, but then I wonder, you know, I want to see a John Watts movie that's not a coming-of-age tale. I think... You know, not Peyton Reed. I don't, I don't, I didn't love some of the things that Ryan Coogler did in Wakanda Forever. I don't know that he's shown the ability to do that grand of a scale, like even bigger than Endgame in scope. I don't know. Yeah. It almost needs to be like a, like a sci-fi director, you know, it, like it's not going to be this, but I, in a weird way, I feel like if Nolan could come in with respect mm. to the source material, he could actually kill it with respect or like a Denis Villeneuve, you know, someone like that yeah. would have to come in and, but, but then you'd have to get him to buy into the MCU, which would be the hurdle there. I don't know. So yeah. I just don't know. I do. Yeah. I mean, it's on the one hand, secret wars feels like the exact kind of project that Nolan would never touch, even if he were to ever do something, but which I know you, you, that's what out. I mean. But yeah. yeah, if he did and he was able to do like, I, I do feel like Nolan is as much. Uh, I think he would have a certain respect for the way that Hickman writes comics, because I think they're both, they are both writers that are obsessed with kind of pseudoscience and like really digging into, even if it's like totally fictional nonsense how it would work if it weren't. So I think that that something like that. Yeah, I think you're right. It needs to be, which again, I mean, that is maybe more so looking at the writer's job here, but yeah, I I've had the same thought. We'll have to think about that. And if you're, if, if you're listening and you have a, uh, a suggestion for who you think the best director for secret wars would be, you should let us know. We'll talk about it. L last serious question. Then eternals, Robbie, do yep. you think, there is any chance that with all of this going on, Marvel is going to totally shift gears and ask the Rousseau's and Marcus and McFeely back. The longer we get from Endgame, and the more this writer strike draws out, and the more the Phase Four stuff gets negatively viewed, I mm -hmm. wonder if they're going to cave. Like, part of me wonders if, like, eventually, like in two years, they're going to be like, you know what? Can you guys come back and just redeem it behind the scenes? I don't think they'd say that publicly. Do you right. think there's ever a shot of that? I don't even know if I want that. I'm just saying, do you think that could actually happen? I think it could, man. I mean, I, I guess I just don't really understand why they had to, to be ushered off anyway. Like aside from the I, fact that like, I understand it from it was their, their choice, perspective. Right? right. Yeah. It was their choice. Wasn't it? Yeah, I th I mean, I, I would assume so. And, and I understand, like, not wanting to immediately start working on a thing. Right. Like, because it's just you're, you're coming off such a big win for both of those teams. They had been working, I'm sure, for years straight between Civil War and right. Infinity War and Endgame. And not even counting Winter Soldier, which only came out, like, two years before Civil War. So, really, it was probably, like... <laughs> what six or seven years of just straight working on these massive projects. So I get it, but I, I, it, I don't know. It's like, I look at other franchises that are comfortable having certain writers and directors or just creators kind of stick around and shepherd it. And, you know, like I look at, uh, at least until recently, you know, Spielberg 
was the one driving the the train on Indiana Jones, and he would step away and come back, and like, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that if it, we it, just it, kind it, of want to look at if, Avengers movies as now being the province of of the Russos and Marcus McFeely, I would be very okay with that. On paper, it feels like an absolute perfect fit, right? Like, think about it for a second. They wanted time off. By the time they're working on this, it will have been five years off. Mm -hmm. They really, and not to belittle them, have not gone on to, like, crazy success since then. Right. But they also view their time during that era very fondly. Like, I don't think there's burned bridges there. And on Marvel's side, they wanted to try something new, introduce a bunch of new characters, do something different than Endgame, and they did. The response hasn't gone like they wanted it to. You know, are they looking for a little bit of redemption to cap to recapture a little bit of the magic they had then? Like it yeah. feels like on paper, yeah. it's an obvious slam dunk that they're going to bring those four guys back. But no, I think that you're is right literally just a Kyle rumor. That's it. <laughs> well, but I, and, I do. And, well, think- last thing, last thing. Sorry, the Rousseau brothers are famously quoted from years ago that the only way they'd ever come back, remember this, oh, right. was for Secret Wars. Yeah, which, I mean, I guess the question that I always had there is, were they wanting to adapt the 80s story or the, the 2015 story? But I'm guessing that we're going to wind up getting a combination of the two anyway. J.J. Abrams, maybe? You know, he could handle the scope, potentially, and would maybe be into the material. Yeah, yeah, I mean... I don't know. That's, yeah, that's... Uh, he could handle that, I think. I mean, I, he he would be... You know, J.J. Abrams co-wrote a Marvel comic just a couple years ago. So, I mean, he's not someone that views himself as being above comic book stuff. I don't think I, I just looked and yeah, I don't know. Did you ever see the gray man? Is is that with Chris Evans? Yeah. And Gosling. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I saw it. Yeah. It's Did a decent like it? action movie. It's a decent action movie. Yep. Critics. So like I never, I never saw on it. it. Cause it's not, yeah. well, it's, it's not like, uh, it's not super special. You know, there's nothing about it. That's super original, but you watch it and go, Oh wow. Yeah. They have a feel for act. Like the set pieces of the action stuff feels right. really good. Um, it's a okay movie. It's a, I'm just going to guess it's a 61%, you know, a 55%, okay. something like that. See, it, what's interesting about that is I knew it was the Rousseau's and obviously it's, it's Chris Evans. And so there's a lot of kind of MCU synergy there. But I did mm-hmm. not realize until a few months ago that it was also written by Marcus M. McFeely. Oh, I didn't know that. So it is like straight up, let's get the entire Captain America band back together. You know, I'll, we just need Anthony Mackie. But and, uh, so he it's was interesting, the right? Piece, apparently. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting that you can have that going on like when when that team of and I I think I would even put Chris Evans in that camp because I think Chris Evans always has he really has a way of delivering the Marcus and McFeelyisms like and I think I always notice when he's out of that context in the MCU like mm. he really connects with their writing and I think obviously the Rousseau's like that's just a team that works well. And it's fascinating to me that you could then take that team and put it in a different context and it not work nearly as well, having not seen it. But I've not I've heard 
even the people that I've talked to that like that movie, I've never heard anyone say, oh my gosh, it's like absolutely incredible or it's on par with Winter Soldier, you know, well, which seems like it would be an analog. If there was any team that would be able to get a Captain America multiversal cameo, it'd be that team, right? Like in the Secret yeah. Wars, if all of a sudden you saw, the, the crowd at this point would go berserk if they saw Man. it. Or same with Tony. Right? Can you imagine if there is another multiverse and an Iron Man shows up for a second, people are going to lose their mind. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying I know how I feel about that, but, you know. Right. We, we need to get into Eternals. I know. We I do. Talk I about that too. We'll, we'll keep talking about this because these are fun. And there have been like a, a few rumors here and there kind of trickling out despite the writer's strike. And so maybe over the next few weeks as we're doing our, uh, our rewatches. We'll, we'll have some things to talk about. But yes, we should get into Eternals. If you want to build up to Loki, build up to Secret Wars via the comics, then check out organicpricebooks.com. That mm-hmm. is the best place to get your comic books and your omnis. If you're on Friends From Work Plus and you're following along the Hickman Avengers stuff with Robbie and Candace, check mm-hmm. out organicpricebooks.com. I'll just say there's a link in our show notes. Or if you're at their website, when you're checking out, use promo code FRIENDSFROMWORK. They're going to be incredible books in great condition, shipped to you quickly and cheaper than almost anywhere you find, organicpricebooks.com. And I, I will say at this moment, we are about a third of the way through Hickman's first big Avengers event, Infinity, which we're talking about Marcus and McFeely and the Russos, was the the basis in a lot of ways for Infinity War. And so if you are someone that enjoyed that movie, which you probably are if you're listening to this podcast, that's been really fun for me to kind of go back now and realize all of the the parallels uh, obviously, the Jim Starlin Infinity Gauntlet comic is kind of the root of all that, but a ton of, of MCU stuff. And then, yeah, that is us moving all the way to Secret Wars. So if you're looking for a, a reason to get into comics via the MCU, I think this is a great jumping on point. All right. We'll be right back with our Eternals rewatch. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Occasionally when I listen back to our podcast, Robbie, I pick up on a few things that we say a lot. And one thing that I don't like that I say a lot is this movie's really hard for me to grade. It's really hard for <laughs> me to rank. And I feel like almost every movie is quote hard for me to rank. But Eternals <laughs> is hard for me to rank. And here is my kickoff premise of the entire thing, especially after rewatching it last night and I already have done the phase four rewatch order. So I just watched this movie also like four months ago. Um, I am convinced that this is a pretty good film across the board as a standalone film. It is well done. 
The only thing that's holding it back for me, and it was the thing that was holding it back originally, is the scope at which things feel detached. It's not just isolated. It's isolated while introducing the most cosmic size scope we have, but then saying, hey, it's actually in the MCU, you know. So again, I think that is the lingering feeling for me. The reason it's so low in my preference rankings is because I don't feel like I'm in the MCU when I'm watching it. I don't get the feeling even Iron Man 2 gives me. Right. right. When I'm right. watching Iron Man 2, I'm like, oh gosh, this is fun. I'm like, we're, you know, we're zigging, we're zagging, we're in the MCU. Right. I know this, I know this character, <laughs> I love it. This is so comfortable. I'm watching this film and it feels so polar opposite. It feels somewhere between this and like a DC film mm. that I don't even know how to center myself. But then the movie's telling me, no, it's it's in the MCU and it's actually bigger than you've ever seen. Like a god is gonna show up and it's gonna look so different. And I'll get into that in a little bit. But right. that doesn't mean it's a bad film. Like if it was a standalone movie, I think Chloe handles so much of the film with care and like visually and the music and so much of it is really, really well done. Just for me, preference wise, it doesn't fit. So I think my score is lopsided on a rewatch. I feel like critically, this movie needs to be raised a little bit. I think Mm -hmm. even critically, people are feeling whether they admit it or not what I'm feeling. I think critics are a little bit like this doesn't even feel like the MCU, but if you the further you get away from it, the less mm-hmm. those expectations influence your watch, right? Because now you just, you don't really care about that side of it. You're not right. on edge about that. The better the movie is. So to me, this is like a middle of the pack film from just a strictly critical perspective on making a movie, like a mm-hmm. 75%. I just made that up. But preference wise, it's towards the bottom because I just don't know where I am. That's my entire kickoff premise. And I hope that doesn't offend Connor. <laughs> no, I, I think I think that's fair. Uh, and and I, I was thinking about this last night. It's really tricky when you try to, to introduce a whole new cosmology slash framework this late into a, a story or, or like a, a, a cosmology and out. framework. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. I'm torn on this because I think we talked last week. I forget how this came up, but about how it, it gets harder in the Marvel comics universe. The further you go to find any way to relate to the average person, whenever yeah, it's right. like they've experienced all of this crazy multiversal stuff and that oh i think we were talking about how that's what i liked about secret invasion is is it it felt a little bit more grounded yeah despite the alien of it all here this is a perfect example of what i i think is the the opposite extreme where yeah it's it's not just i'm not as bothered by oh no one's talking about tiamat and what's happening there. that that doesn't really bother me the way it does some people no, yeah, me either. It's, it's more like, okay, so this is now going to kind of retroactively alter the way I've looked at this entire world. And I do think that that's a, a really, like, when you make that decision, uh, you you need to be pretty sure that it's going to be worth it <laughs> and, like, that it's going gonna, it's gonna to work and pay off so i i think when we're looking at like 
okay, we now have a, a universal creation story and we know where everybody right. like that is something that's just okay, well now we are we're we're dealing with a world that could be considered unrecognizable compared to what we thought was going on. I think Neil on our discord pointed out something during the rewatch last night. He was talking about this and I feel like there's such a dividing line even between this for me and a Thor movie. And he, he brought this up. Thor is a God and so are the Asgardians, right? In the way we know it. Right. But it's not like this God, right? Like they're, they're basically still just people that live a long time and are super strong. But I don't think it totally rewrites how you think about everything, right? Just because Thor shows up, you actually get some really fun interactions with him being fish out of water, but it doesn't make you fundamentally question, okay, is it hard to focus on Captain America, his little story and him, you know, doing a monologue about, you know, shield. Right. When now we're learning like, Oh, this is like an entire world creation. And this, planet earth is just here to birth this celestial and if you don't do it the celestials are actually going to show up and and take you away and like it just it's so new it's so different in scope that again as a standalone film nothing wrong with that but it's hard to it's just hard for me to place that and it, it is different than thor it's different than anything we've ever seen yeah now now i will say like to play devil's advocate I, I think here we go first on, on the Thor side, I, I was thinking about this. I, I agree, especially if we're talking about the first Thor movie. However, even putting like love and thunder aside, which treats Thor as an actual God and introduces the concept of their being gods in the MCU. Mm hmm. Even just going back to the Thor that we had in in the Infinity Saga, you are still introducing a wider universe that I like. I don't know that there's any way you can come out of Thor or Captain America: The First Avenger for that or for Guardians. That matter. Like, yeah, yeah, and 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 think like, okay, we're we're <laughs> we're like living in a standard like, uh, you know, Judeo-Christian uh, framework. Like, I think that it's clear we're dealing with some, you know, we're, we're getting further and further in, into like a fictional universe, obviously. And the more you okay. expand, the but, again, the less recognizable it's going to be regardless. But is it the timing then? Is that the only difference? It's that now you're trying to rewrite it 20-something films in versus Thor was whatever, the fourth movie. I don't know. Yeah, no. So that's that's a good point. But then I would say the other the other piece of my of my devil's advocate argument, I guess, would be Loki, which came out the same year as Eternals and also well, totally and I had, rewrote and reimagined the MCU as we knew it. And at the time, I had a little taste of a similar feeling. You like, did. You remember, That's true. I, was I like, remember that. I was like, well, the Infinity Stone line, like including that, that makes me feel uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. You remember? So it's, yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. But no, that's a good point. 
it was similar to that for sure. I, I, I think that regardless, it's a valid thing to feel. And, and I think the reason I like talking about the first Thor movie is the reason, I mean, one, I, there's a lot that I think, and we've talked about this to death, that, that that movie did not do all that well. I think that the reason we're even able to talk about it the way we are now is because of how they built on what was in that movie and, and built it out into something better. Right. So, you know, we've talked about this a lot and about phase four as kind of a phase one thing. And I really thought about this a lot while we were watching Eternals last night because I kept thinking, yeah, you know, phase one had one, well, two great movies, right? Uh, Iron Man and the Avengers. I th- I think that's looking you at like release order Avenger. and and <laughs> I think are I do I I really like Captain America the First Avenger. I would not hold it up as yeah no yeah. If that let me put it this way: if Captain America it's first in our watch order. If Captain America the First Avenger had been the first in release order, I don't think Marvel Studios would exist. Okay. So like I whereas I think. You know, Iron Man, it makes sense to me that that was the thing that was able to get this going and that Avengers was the thing that was able to kind of really bring it together. My point being, it was a lot of like, it was, I almost think it was, okay, we just need a Thor movie. Like, we just need to get Thor on the board so he's out there so that we can play with him in our Avengers movie. We just need to get Captain America out there so that we can like use him in our Avengers movie and hopefully forward like... It's and this is not me hating on those movies at all right now. I'm just saying critically, commercially, they were not these like massive moments. It was more of like a, a down payment on something that they were hoping would you know, I don't I'm not gonna carry I, I keep carrying my analogies too far. <laughs> I, I I love it so much. I love you coming up with a good analogy, but then going so far that you get stuck, and then I just love watching you get stuck. I I just think that the difference is phase four has gone. It's, it hasn't gone on that long, like temporally. It, we're, we're actually probably still in a smaller window years wise than we were in phase one, right? Cause phase one was basically 2008 to 2012. Phase four was 20. Yeah. 2021 to 2022. <laughs> So we're definitely more impatient though. That's for sure. Well, and and there's so much content though, right? Like I don't think we would be feeling that way if we had only had four projects or five, you know, I, I think it's the fact that we have had just that many Disney plus shows, I think. And then yeah, I don't, we're probably on like know. eight or nine now. Although this is technically phase five now, but yes, right. Right. I, but I just mean looking. So I, I think that's why it feels different, but I still think that we have to look at phase four through that lens and we have to look at something like Eternals through that lens of like, okay, they got this stuff out there. We now have the Celestials, which I, you know, has always been a really weird part of of Marvel lore. And we talked about that a lot when the movie first came out. It's this Jack Kirby brainchild that was never meant to function within the Marvel continuity and that was then kind of grafted on. And so organic price books.com. Yeah. So given that that is the case, 
you know, I, I still wonder whether it made sense to even make an Eternals movie. But, you know, there Correct. have been some really memorable moments in the comics where they utilize Celestials. And there it's it's a really great piece to have whenever you need to show a massive, like really scary universal level threat to to find like the corpse of a of a celestial like floating out in space. It's like a you have these kind of unnerving images like that in Marvel Comics. And I think that it's like they have those toys to to play with now. And I think that it's it's gonna be what they do with it moving forward. If they don't do anything at all, then I think this is going to but we're gonna look back and view this as a weird anomaly. Sure. And if they, you know, obviously do something bad then that's even worse i guess but i i think that there's room for them to do the the stuff that we've talked about them accomplishing with the thor franchise if they put it into the right hands yep i think there's a part of me that's still mad that it was made <laughs> so that influences everything but i want to get into a few specifics from the movie quickly because yeah there's actually a lot of it that i enjoy yeah, actually, most of the, the rest of my notes are positive as well. So I think that that transitions well. But you go first. High, high level, let's start with the visuals. Because I do feel like they are standout, borderline remarkable. A lot of the critiques people have in the MCU of CGI, CGI complaints and things like that, I just don't feel a lot here. I think the Mercari speed running is the coolest speed running I've ever seen. In any film, including The Flash, all that. Mm -hmm. I think the imagination of their powers and what those visually look like, pretty cool. I think Icarus looks pretty good flying around, which is a hard yeah. thing to do. Really hard thing to do. His laser eyes and the way he destroys some of those deviants looks insanely cool. And mm -hmm. then zooming out from just the actual effects, I love that they shot... A lot of this on location, we talked to Leah McHugh and she had just gotten back from the Canary Islands where they had filmed stuff. Right. You can go find that episode on YouTube or back in our feed. Um, but also the attention to the cinematography that Chloe put, you know, did with the cinematographer. Mm -hmm. But there's like a, there's an intentionality to the locations, the sets and the framing of the image. Even little things like, there's a shot where it's it's nighttime and they find Ajax dead outside her South Dakota house. Mm -hmm. And like even the way that's framed up feels like Nomadland. It's really cool. It's like really oh, dark. Yeah. You just see yeah. this one cabin that's lit in the corner and mm -hmm. then Ajax in the field. That's a really weird shot to point out, but there's just stuff like that where like her 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 set pieces as they're zooming in with the cinematography feel like they are grounding me in a really desirable way. Like here's the Island. As we zoom in, here's the volcano going off. Like it looks and feels tangible. Yeah. So visually I enjoy so much of the film. I don't even know if anything I said made sense, but <laughs> no, it I did. do like it. And, and I, I listened to some interviews with, with Chloe and some of the, effects folks and it is like you know coming in this phase that has so often been decried as as putting out really bad visual stuff like i think eternals should kind of get the, the the credit it's owed for not doing that 
whatever you want to say about Eternals, I think it's really hard to to deny that that it looks great on both like the CGI level and just like the choices of where to film, like the fact that every every set piece feels unique. Like I was listening to them talk about the the choice to film that scene. I think it's in Camden in in London when you first see the Deviant. Mm-hmm. And like the lighting that they have as they're kind of walking along the water. Like they talked about how all of that was this intentional, let's not look like every other movie that has a London scene. Like let's let's try to intentionally create something that looks mm. a little bit different and and memorable. And so I and think it does. Like it the, looks cool. It does. Like the craftsmanship of and I was just like I was watching that scene last night and paying special attention. The the way that the actual fight plays out with Cersei changing the bus into the rose petals and like there are a lot of cool like you step back and and it's clear that nothing was phoned in like every moment feels intentional and I I would also kind of to transition say the same thing about the characters here like Mm -hmm. putting putting the the acting aside which I don't think is perfect in this movie but the the way that each character really is distinct. It, yeah. It's its own thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, and it, it is like, like the, the way that, that Kingo just doesn't like you expect a character like that where he's like, I can't, you know, I, I can't fight Icarus. You expect him to like show up at the very end whenever they're in trouble and he saves them. Cause he changes his mind like a Han Solo moment. And yep. he doesn't have that. And I love that. Like, I love that they're like... I loved that part. People were so mad that he just walked away, by the way. Yeah. And I love that call. Yeah. Like, it's so what much more interesting. That's, it's all these different views at how someone would respond to conflict. And some people just go like, you know what? Like, I don't want to hurt the Eternals, but I think yeah. we're doing the right thing. I just have to remove myself. I and, can't help And you. that's like, that's maybe my big plus for this whole movie, like my, my big pro, I guess is just, I do think Eternals is, I think (laughs) Jack Kirby is so revered and rightly so, but I think that in this case, you know, it's not as, it's not his best work. And I think it's a bit overrated as far as Marvel properties go, because I think people respect Kirby so much. I, I think that it just, the, the whole, the mechanics of who the Eternals are and who the Deviants are and the roles that they play and how the Celestials function, like just none of it makes very much sense in Marvel Comics, which is why Neil Gaiman felt like he could kind of come in and just do whatever he wanted with it because no one really knew how it worked anyway. So I, Again, I think, that's why so much of my problem is with the entire premise Right. From even what they are, not actually what Chloe did or didn't do. Yeah. Well, and, and and I would say what's impressive to me is I look at like the, okay, the conflict that Kirby sets up with the Deviants and Eternals, where really it, it's it's pretty straight up. The Deviants are are like Deviants. I mean, like they're, they're evolving or devolving or however you want to look at it, but it's like they, they're gruesome and ugly generally there are some exceptions and then the eternals are all like perfect and really strong and and serve the celestials and it's like this 
he he's creating this almost like biblical split and he's it's like the angels and the devils and and again it's all kind of messy but there are bits and pieces there of like okay you know we'll have like a really great scene with Kroll talking about how it is like what it's like to be a deviant and how it's not fair that they have to be deviants and then that that you have eternals that don't have to go through what they have to go through like you see Kirby grabbing onto some interesting things, but just not ever fully, fully flushing them out. And I, I see that, and then I see what Chloe did with that, and I'm, I'm kind of impressed. I think you're right. I am impressed relative to the source material, but I think if you're just a casual observer, the deviance mm. being included in this film, even though I'm impressed with what you did, is the weakest part of the film for me. Yeah, yeah. I think it's hard to not feel some of what you're talking about from the source material. If you're just watching this film, like if you just showed this to your mom, right. there's a little bit of like, right. what are these creatures? Like, why are they here? The The plot can almost exist without them, right? Like TMN yeah. has to be birthed and we want to stop it. But then there's this third party where like the idea of it is kind of cool that they're jaded and stuff, but it never mm -hmm. fully gets fleshed out. You don't see them have personality until way late. I don't know. It just, it doesn't I, feel like it totally fits. I do. What, what does fit to me though is, and I don't think that this was because the Eternals in the, in the original comics were not, you know, like androids, like they are here. That's mm. arguably I, all of just as a big disclaimer to any comics readers that are listening, Kieran Gillen very recently in the last year or two wrote an Eternals comic that culminated in judgment day which was this big event both of those were critically acclaimed and rightly so because they were excellent and I, he must have had some sense of what the film was going to look like because there's a lot mm. of synergy there that is a great eternals comic if you want to go read something that does make sense and feels modern but i'm kind of putting that aside because that comic had not even really been out when the the film was being written and certainly or when it was released and certainly when it was written but i do think that what i what I like about Zhao's take is the Eternals are created as they are in response to the Deviants, not like the, it's the Deviants evolution that makes them dangerous and makes them not the servants that the Celestials need. And so they intentionally create Eternals. The idea being they are eternal because they don't evolve, like they stay the exact same and that way they can use them over and over again and know that they're not going to go through these kinds of changes until you start getting like the mad weary stuff with Thena. And, and that's what I mean where it's like there are so many things going on and that's where you're right, like trying to squeeze the deviants in and make like put in Kroll as this like complicated villain. It is just it's probably like one thing too many. But I'm also still, I'm still struck by, yeah, that makes way more sense than what Kirby initially put out. Like, to me, it's like, yeah, okay, this is why they are Eternals. Like, this is why, all the way to, like, this is why the Unimind is a thing, which is, like, in the, in the comics, it's just, like, we all, like, think something at the same time, and now we're, like, in the Unimind, and we're all acting as, like, one Eternal but it, it's never really, you know, it's just kind of this like trippy idea. And I just think that like at some point, whether it was Chloe or, or the fear pose that we had on, 
like someone sat down and they were like, let's, let's make sense of all this first off on like a mechanics level. And then let's figure out how we can, whichever Eternals we want to include, how each one of them can respond to these mechanics and to the situation they're confronted with in their own way that would reflect something that is kind of ironically quintessentially human, like, and therefore show that we are both revealing them to be these like Android non-human beings and revealing them to actually be as human as any of the humans are, you know, manifested by their, their responses. And so I, I think that like, it's taken me a lot of watches and I think that Candace, this is where Candace would say, well, is it a good movie if it takes you that many watches to decide that it's a good movie, which is a valid question. But I, I, I think that that is something that could not have been easy to accomplish. And the fact that you can watch this movie and pick out any one character or any one subplot and just trace that all the way through and have a pretty fulfilling experience, even if in isolation, I think says something. And I don't think that's something you can do with, with any Avengers movie, for instance, or even like Guardians. Along those lines the deaths and stakes for the individual people feel really weighty to me. It's mm-hmm. a huge highlight of the film. When Gilgamesh dies, yeah, I'm really legitimately thinking. sad. It's moving. When Ajax dies, it's moving. I like how they handle that, how the entire Eternals crew is messed up by that news. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm moved by that last shot of Icarus not being able to fulfill his one mission. Like his one mission is to let this happen. That's how he's been raised. Mm -hmm. And then when he realizes he can't do it because it's Cersei, him actually just flying into the sun and killing himself, really weighty to me. All of those things, because Chloe handles them with care, because the characters are so distinct, really work for me. I... I won't go on a big tangent about this now because we talked about Icarus a lot, I think, when the movie first came out. But I really, I really love what that character represents here. Like him as the kind of the zealot that is legitimately doing what he thinks is right and, and trying to fulfill what is literally his purpose. And it, it it's a one of the more tragic characters in the entire MCU and that I was thinking yeah, last night, right. he loses twice. Like he yeah. won it, it first. He has to betray the Eternals by killing Ajax and then fighting against the rest of them. And then ultimately he has to betray Arisham because he decides to go with the Eternals at the end, which means that he's by the end he's, yeah, he's, and he's got no, He's now burned all of these bridges trying to do what he thought was right at, at both moments for someone that has been so defined by their meaning, by their role of kind of leadership within this team to have to knowingly sever those ties is really sad to where whenever I, I see his response there at the end, like I love that he doesn't have after Yes. After uh, Tiamat, it, it, it's not like a, oh, what have I done? Like, yes. it's just like a, a sobbing and then like a, a, a final word with Cersei. Doesn't he say, I'm gone. sorry, and that's it? Yeah. 
Yeah. That's perfect. Which is, it's a beautiful scene. Yeah, uh, it, it could have been ruined by some other writer or director where he's like, I'm now looking at everything I've done and I failed right. then and I failed, I'm going to fail again and I don't know what to do anymore. I got to go. You know, that could have ruined it. But just right. to like look at her, I think the flashback is beautiful there. He's like about to laser her oh, and then it yes. quick cuts to yeah. the scene. I have chills right now. I actually commented that uh, yesterday on Discord. Mm. Cuts to those scenes with Cersei. And I'm like, oh yeah, dang. Like they've done a lot of time together. And uh, then he can't do it. And then, yeah, instead of saying something, he just goes, I'm sorry, and then kills himself. Yeah, maybe. And, you know. and he doesn't even, like, tell her, I'm going to go, like, do something awful to where she can, like, talk him off a ledge. It's just like, nope, that's it. It's I think it's executed yeah. brilliantly. Something that I think would have maybe made the the conflict at the center of this even more compelling I, it would have been interesting to, to set up a situation where if they let the earth be destroyed and let Tiamat be born, whenever all the Eternals are kind of brought back uh, to get ready for the next mission and reset, that you also would have had like Ajak and Gilgamesh come back online. Like it, it would have been like a reset just because I was thinking that would have added sort of a layer of tension if, like, you have Thena knowing that it's a choice between, like, letting the world live and never being able to see Gilgamesh again or, like, letting the world be destroyed and knowing that they'll be able to kind of continue on in the, the Eternals crew that they had, even if they don't remember it. I just feel like it would kind of... I don't know. I was just thinking like that would add because otherwise it, it, it does come down to, I don't know how much the, Oh, but like so many, so many beings will never know life. If we don't allow the celestial to be born. Like, I just don't know how much weight that argument carries to, to me, like, because sure. it's so hypothetical totally. that I think adding a little bit more personal stakes there. That's why I said helpful. the weight of the personal stakes and the deaths, because I think in that aspect, yeah. it's perfect. But yes, the like threat of, oh, no, this new planet won't get to know life. I'm like, OK, like, which, by well, the they way, they won't even know they don't have it then. Right. So <laughs> they'll never it's like know. Thanos, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Let's go. I, uh, Great minds I, think alike. I think, OK, I was looking at at uh, at like watching Thena during the first Mad Weary scene and they're talking about like what, what they should do and she can be healed, but she'll be kind of reset. And I was just thinking, man, like, okay, if I have been living for literally thousands of years and am designed so that I never really change. And so the only thing that changes are, are just the people around me that I'm watching, like grow old and die and be replaced by their children and yada, yada. There's part of me that's like, you know what? Yeah, I think I'm ready for a reset. Let's just take it from the top. I think I've probably like gotten everything I can get out of this particular situation. So like, sure. yeah, you know, if I forget all this and get to start new, like that's probably for the best. It's like time. it's hard for me to relate to to like it being that tragic. I mean, I get it. Like if someone right now told me that I had to reset, but I've only got You're 31 awful. years on me, you know? <laughs> You're awful. <laughs> uh, second question. That wasn't even really a question, but it wasn't. this one is. Um, did we ever get an explanation for why uh, 
the Eternals all have different accents? Oh, gosh. Well, definitely it, not. They don't explain I, in the movie, right? And I'm asking because it's not as though everyone is using their, like, the accent of the actor. Like, I think I wouldn't have this question if it was just, well, this is this person's accent, so we're going to have them speak that way. Like, Angelina Jolie is not speaking with her normal American accent. She's using, like, a, like... Oh, boy. Kind of British, I guess. I don't know. What do you think her accent is there? Can I ask you a question, too? And maybe yeah. I missed this last night. Is there even an explanation on why they are all so different and diverse? No, no, I don't. I mean, well, okay, I think. Because, like, 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 well, I asked that because, obviously, on paper, as far as just a human being, and, like, I love there's diversity and there's a, there's right. a deaf here. All that stuff's important, but I'm just curious, as far as in the story, why would Arishem make one of the Eternals deaf, for example? Or why would Liam McHugh's character, Sprite, only be a child? Like, why is it created that way? Yeah, well, I think, so, that is the, the tension, I think, between Kirby's version of the Eternals and, and Zhao's, is that it... It makes sense in the comics because they're not they're not created in quite the same way. I mean, like they are created by the Celestials, but they're not like created as these like robot things. When you add that into the mix, it does get a little stranger that you would have like Sprite, for example, be created as a child. I mean, which in fairness, they deal with explicitly in the movie. And, you know, she asks about that. So it's not that the movie doesn't recognize that there's a tension there. Well, and what's the answer? I can't remember. What's the answer? Actually? I don't I don't think I don't think that we're told. I think that the question is just vocalized because part of me thinks like you could probably spin it as that gives them a better chance to relate to humanity. If they were all just like Thor looking, you know, gods, would eventually people be like, but like, and that has been, yeah, that's like my, my no prize for it, I guess. I think what's interesting there though, is like, that could maybe explain the accents too then. Okay. But so the reason I get hung up on the accents though, is I don't like none of those accents would have existed at the time that they came to earth. Right. Like, because yeah, but maybe they picked up that one particular accent from that time period because it was so you know important to them. Like I know you know, and this okay, look I know I'm going like way too far on this, but this is just where my head went last night. But Icarus and Cersei use those act like they have the same accent throughout the whole movie. Like it's not oh, like yeah. you see like, them even pick when they're up. in ancient Babylon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and even when they're like on the ship, and so. Good like, point. <laughs> so I'm just like I again. You're right. I I'm hate totally. It. I hate it now. <laughs> I just deal breaker. I, I want. It feels like it had to be because, like, we talked about how how much of this felt intentional. I have to imagine that there was some thought put into it in terms of who should talk how, and I'm just curious. Like, because there's a world where I could see someone, like, one of them not even speaking English, right? And, and it being subtitled the whole time in the same way we have it with, like, Makari. And that being a, an intentional choice if they're, like, assimilating in a certain way. So I, there's got to be something. Maybe we can have Chloe on and just uh, Please. pick her brain. I would, on, we always joke about that. 
that is one person I would love to be able to, to talk to a bit just because I think that this movie has so many layers and she seems really passionate about it. Two final thoughts from me. If you're close to being finished. Mm-hmm. One, the music is spectacular. Oh yeah. Spectacular. Thank you. Specifically, if you're listening to our journey through the MCU playlist on Spotify, gosh, I just love the theme. I love the theme. Bum, 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 bum. And that's the right key if you're listening. Man, you have a gift. Um, I love it. I also feel like the quiet moments are handled really well. The piano stuff. I'm a huge fan. Mm-hmm. I have complained before. Like, I don't love the crazy use of electric guitar. Like, put the electric guitar away and then we're totally good. Someone in the room should have been like, hey, let's not rip out a shredding electric guitar. But other than that, we're good. Um, <laughs> love the music. It's spectacular. And then just my closing thought. I think I am a little bit closer to Candace than you are in that if you zoom out a long ways, I, I a little bit feel mm-hmm. like I shouldn't have to watch the film eight times to pick up on every little through line. Yes. I do think that there is some intentionality and in all the things I praised. I enjoy it. All the stuff mm-hmm. there is intentionality to each through line for sure. But I just think because of the source material, it's maybe like you said, it's just, it's too much. Like, are we going to lean to the mad weary thing? If not, I need I need more explanation there or just not have it a part of the film. I need more of the deviance in that plot line or just don't have it be like that. Like have the deviants not be smart. They're just creatures that they're protecting. Um, if we're trying to have like focus on the dissension between um, the Eternals, then I just don't think I need the Dane Whitman plot line or like, do I need like, there's so many little things that she was trying to jam in here that this movie I think could be magnificent if 35% of it was just not even attempted. So I really like it. I'm, I'm, I'm biased towards not liking it because I don't think it fits perfectly inside the MCU because of the source material. And as a film perspective, I think it's really good with just a little too much going on for the average person to fully appreciate. Yeah, I think that's fair. And and I, I still think, which I think we talked about this in, in 2021, but I, I feel this could have really benefited from uh, a Disney Plus series treatment. Correct. Like I, I, I keep I keep thinking about like this could be very lost esque in in terms of the not the mystery but the structure of like okay we're going to introduce you to the cast as a whole and then each episode is going to be going back and giving you the the flashbacks to fill in the story like that's already kind of the model of the movie but I think if you had more time. And you could pace it out like that and even have one that is is like with Kroll, you know, like and and not make it feel like because, again, like I think all things considered, it's paced. It's paced pretty well for all the things happening. Yeah. But it's just there's too many things happening. But I think that that could have been like a really interesting prestige TV moment for for marvel and it's like there are just a couple of examples of that where i'm like this show should have been a movie and this movie should have been a show i was gonna say if they could redo it would they make secret invasion a movie and eternals a show just swapping those two 
Because by the way, uh, yeah, I, I look back on it now and I'm like, I don't think that WandaVision, Loki, Moon Knight, Hawkeye, Miss Marvel, or She-Hulk need to be films, in my opinion. I think they all worked yeah, as shows. Yeah. Um, that'd probably be the one I'd switch. That's all I have. Yeah. What's next uh, week? I know. So I'm I'm uh, I'm really excited for next week because I, I think we have a couple of good transition points here into uh, our next project, which is Moon Knight. One we you know we kind of end this whole movie is about kind of godlike beings and things going on behind the scenes and and that's sort of the theme of this whole chunk which is why we'll kind of go from Moon Knight next into Thor Love and Thunder, which then leads really well into Loki, which is kind of the ultimate power behind the scenes and also talking about what it is to be a god. So really, we're going to be talking about that, like, what is it to be a god? What is it to serve a god question within the MCU that I think is explored really interestingly, especially in Moon Knight, uh, but mm-hmm. also in Love and Thunder. Also, though, we have the kind of uh, the the blade moment at the end that is not huge and we still don't know the ramifications of it but I think Blade and and Moon Knight live in very similar spots within at least the Marvel Comics world so I think tonally it sort of makes sense to shift so that is where we are heading next it's kind of like the gods and monsters mini arc here which by the way just got me thinking you should maybe think about could Werewolf by Night fit in here somewhere? It it was it was there at one point. Okay. And I think I, I removed it just because it didn't seem to... It, I, I was going to have it right after Moon Knight, but I really liked the... I, I liked the link between Moon Knight and Love and Thunder. Yeah. And kind of going with the... the from the gods to the gods thing. And then once you're at and Love and Thunder, you want Loki, right? Like once you're there. Right. Yeah. And and so I there's I will say there's a case to be made for putting uh, Werewolf by Night right after Loki, in that it's kind of like a, in the same effect that you have with Wandavision, with it like starting black and white, and you're not really knowing what's going on. Loki is such a like the multiverse is is like broken now, so what's happening? The problem with with Werewolf by Night, and I think it's also a problem with with Eternals to kind of end with is just we have just been given no additional context. So when you drop it in, like what I like about our watch order for the most part, and the reason I like having Eternals where it is, is like it at least like you do, you get a little bit of a, of a like follow up. Like you have a celestial shout out in Thor Love and Thunder and you at least get you see bits and pieces of things in different i think is it miss marvel where you see like the clip of the tiamat hand like you get a, at least a sense of like it's in the the same universe but werewolf by night we don't have that at all yet and so that's kind of why i still like treating it as as a sort of epilogue which we'll talk about when we get there but i i will say because we didn't have this on the books yet when we talked last week if you've heard us talking about the the group watch, I had a lot of fun with that. Uh, this is the first time we've done something like that in a while. It's super low-key. It's not like we're on live or anything. It's just showing up in the Discord. 
And uh, if you are able to watch, watching along and talk, I think we had several folks in last night who weren't even watching, but just kind of like the excuse to talk. Eternals. Uh, Moon Knight is another project that I feel like people are pretty divided on. So I think it'll be interesting to to so discuss. I think we'll be the doing way just we'll the do finale, this, right? Yeah. 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 Well, and that way, if you want to kind of start, if you are watching along and you finished Eternals and you want to go ahead and start Moon Knight, uh, you can watch episodes one through five. And then, yeah, we'll just uh, we'll watch the finale together and discuss that Thursday night at 7 p.m. Central. Yeah. Which I know is uh, I, I'm constantly going to be putting football fans in a yeah. terrible position. Yeah. But uh, last night was just it, a bigger deal because it's the first game, but it won't be as big of a yeah. deal for just an average Thursday night game. It it works out well because we will then record our episode the following morning, and so we get we get to come in fresh, and we get hey. to watch with y'all instead of just watching by ourselves. Hey, one tidbit, having just watched Quantumania, I want you and our audience to kind of be on the lookout as we're going through this of where you think Quantumania can fit. Because I know a lot of your rewatch order is a rewatch, which means you need to give it some time to see where it fits and and fall in a rewatch. But I was watching it thinking, I don't know that there's anything in this that dates it to phase five. Like it has to be after X amount of Mm -hmm. time. And I just wonder if there actually could be a cool tie-in somewhere around the Loki era, depending on what season two is like, with all the Kang stuff. Because it all happens in the quantum realm, like time doesn't matter. I wonder if thematically, eventually, just be on the lookout for that. I don't know where, but somewhere earlier than where it is, maybe. Yeah, I think what I like right now, and it will just, honestly, Loki season two will will really influence the Quantumania placement, I think. One thing I really like about the Phase 4 watch order is you have these sort of tentpole moments uh, of, of multiversal projects that really are, are moving along the main story here if we're viewing this as the multiverse saga. And that is WandaVision at the very top, Loki and Spider-Man No Way Home as like the combo at the middle, and then Multiverse of Madness as the end. And so I like that it's like you have those, they both fit within each arc. So like Loki fits here. WandaVision fits in the reflection arc. Like they each do that work, but they also work as kind of like, but don't forget, like they're almost the Avengers movies, you know, within phase four, like on a, on a micro level. And so my thought has been that phase five the first tent pole would be Quantumania and the second would be Loki season two. And then we would kind of see what made sense to go in between those. I think there's a world where like Guardians, Secret Invasion and the Marvels all kind of fit together as like the space earth combo thing thematically. But I think it's a good it's a good point. And depending on how Loki season two goes. Yeah, I mean, maybe those both wind up earlier. It's just going to be fascinating to see. We, I, I have to imagine we're going to get more multiverse stuff in phase five than we did in phase four, or I think people are going to start to get pretty antsy. No pun yeah, intended. Multiverse answers, not just like generic, oh, there is one, but like a direction right. it's heading. 
Like, what is Kang actually up to? Oh, no. Like, look out right. for this. Um, so, Moon Knight next week, Thursday, finale at 7 p.m. Central. As we mentioned, we would love for you guys to be a part of that discussion. You can find a link to our Discord on our website, the ffwpodcast.com. And there's a Discord link there as well as a bunch of other stuff. Please subscribe to this podcast. If you can rate and review it, that helps us as well. And if you like what we're doing here, consider supporting us financially. You can donate on our website or subscribe to Friends From Work Plus on Apple, Spotify, Patreon, and Substack, or buy some merchandise on our website, the FFWpodcast.com. Uh, we're on social media at the FFW Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. This has been really fun. We'll see you next week talking about Moon Knight right back here on Friends From Work. <laughs>